Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 152nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that claims emergency powers over your collection. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. How are you doing this lovely evening? Just as frozen as you are, my friend. Yeah, it is real damn cold out. Real cold out. Mm-hmm. We were skiing this weekend. It actually worked out pretty well because we packed for cold weather, so we weren't unpleasantly cold, even though I think a lot of other people were. And uh, the hill was actually really deserted by the time you got to evening hours because it was so cold. So at the biggest ski resort in the Buff- greater Buffalo area, there was no lines for the lifts, which is like unheard of. Was this Holiday Valley? Yeah, yeah it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been there. When uh, we were running the Ski and Snowboard magazine back in the day, we <laughs> played a couple of visits down there. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, my friend's uh, buddy, my friend's grandfather started the place. Oh, really? Yeah. So we got a free lodging because we, we knew a guy and free passes because we knew a guy and we're like, all right, this is the hell of a ski trip. Yeah, I remember writing an article about that place saying that people from Toronto should stop going to Blue Mountain and start going there because it was actually cheaper even with the exchange rate. Really? Wow. I've never heard of Blue Mountain. Is it bigger? Yeah, it's a little bigger, but not much bigger. And it's about the same distance, except you go north instead of south from Toronto. It's the same distance? What is it, like three hours from downtown Toronto? Yeah, it depends on the weather. Like if you get lucky and you're not with traffic, then maybe one and a half, but realistically more like two. And if there's a snowstorm, two to three. Hmm. I would have expected it to take you guys. Well, yeah, two and a, two to three. Yeah. Okay. It's about like an extra half hour to get the Holiday Valley, but significantly cheaper. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, they just, uh, I don't know how long it's been open, but the Ellicottville Brewing Company is open down there too now. Uh, and they have a, a pretty decent setup, all told, for a local brewery, quite large. Yeah, the other thing with Holiday Valley is they're also known for having better snow because you guys are snow belt on the south side of the lake, whereas... Blue is uh, on the south side of a smaller lake and doesn't quite get as much powder, especially these days. Last five years have been kind of weak. Yeah, the last couple of years for skiing, I think, everywhere have been pretty rough. Uh, but that's interesting. I didn't know that either. You know, I, I enjoy it, and I, I did it in high school, but it's never been a great passion uh, of mine. But I will tell you, I, I did it a lot. I snowboarded, and I, I snowboarded back in high school, and it was a lot of fun. We used to spend the whole night doing rails and jumps and that type of thing. Uh, and, you know, I went out with some friends this time, and... We go to the train park and I look down the hill at some of those rails. You know, they're three feet high. They're not, you know, towering over me. But 15 years later, they look a little more uh, <laughs> a little more threatening than they used to. I got to say, I don't know if it's the wisdom of, of age or the cowardice of age. But I look at those rails and I just see broken arms and shattered teeth. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've still got the train park under my belt, but... I haven't tested it lately because we've been doing the baby thing for a couple of years. So we're hopefully maybe next year we'll go to Whistler and see what's what. Oof, that's probably one hell of a trail. I mean, the one at Holiday Valley was honestly a little smaller than I thought it would be. Uh, maybe there was another one I missed, but it was not huge. I would expect the one at Whistler to be serious. Yeah, Whistler has like a, 
a DJ live on, yeah. in the afternoon in the train park. It's, it's pretty pretty serious. Yeah, um, it's intense. My buddy was also posting photos of his trip to Japan last week where he was in like five feet of powder. <laughs> like every picture was just goggles. That's awesome. Yeah, that would be fine. That would be uh, fun. We've, we've also booked Hawaii. So I'll be surfing with MTG Finance money in uh, second week of March. Uh, maybe try to hit up a, a local magic shop on Maui and see what's up. I would imagine not much in that regard, right? Whatever cards I, end up on that island have got to be expensive. Yeah, I have no idea. And in, in I know that two of the Judge Foil Gaia's Cradles that I bought were sold to uh, a collector in Hawaii. Um, I think he was on Oahu, though, which makes sense since uh, Waikiki Beach area has plenty of money and there's like a million people in that city or something. Hmm. Yeah, it does seem seems like you would send cards in, not out. Or some people would send cards out. The market for some of that stuff is probably a lot smaller, right? How many people on the island really want a judge guy's cradle? Who knows? I'm assuming they're still sitting in the in the dude's collection, or he's flipped them back out. Because I think when I was selling them, they were probably something like six or seven hundred US, and now they're closer to twelve, right? Yeah, I think somewhere in that ballpark. All right. So, what's on the agenda this week? Oh yeah, we have to talk about magic, don't we? Uh, our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, MTGPrice.com. Manager collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. That's us. Our show this week in four segments. Segment one, our top movers, James and I, will run through the cards that we think uh, that we have gone the best over the past week. Segment two, our cards to watch. Those are the cards James and I think will rise in price in the near future. Segment three, our week in review. Uh, this week, we have a competitive standard league we'll check in on. Uh, on. And finally, our, our segment four, our topic of the week. Uh, MTGO prices have gotten wildly cheap, uh, so we're going to talk for a couple minutes about what's going on over there, uh, what that means for Magic Online today, and what that might mean for the future, uh, and you probably already know where that's all going to go, but we'll make it official in a little while. Let's start off the week with Hornet Queen, foils out of Magic 2015, 5 and change up to about 13. Hornet Queen is a very popular card in EDH. If you ever played against it, you understand why, especially when you start reanimating it. Um, I have to imagine one of us picked this card at some point in the past, but I did not uh, I did not search through the spreadsheet to go find it. But as I, I want to say, here like eight, talk about it. Yeah, I want to say 18 months ago, foils, and I can't remember which one of us it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, fantastic commander card and hasn't seen a foil in a while. So um, the best thing that could possibly happen there is it gets reprinted into commander again and uh, stretches out how long the foils get to breathe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, card is nuts. Oh, I see you snuck another one under the bottom of the sheet there. What is it? What do you got going on? Uh, I wanted to note that even though the, the percentage return isn't massive, Gemstone Mine is on the move. Um, both versions, the Weatherlight and the Time Shifted, are relevant from uh, Amulet Titan decks, which just got better from KCI being banned um, at the start of the week, so... Uh, and it hasn't seen a reprint in quite some time because it's only got the original way back in Weatherlight and then the uh, reprinting in time-shifted portion of Time Spiral. So this is a card that I would think will be on the reprint agenda for Wizards in the next couple of years, but 
Um, I think there's a very good chance that these get up to 20, even 25 if Amulet Titan continues to do well. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. The I've got a set of them stashed away myself, and um, honestly, I would have thought the foils were a little more. Oh, these are the, yeah. the, the non, yeah. yeah, yeah. non-foils. Right, non right, 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 right. I just noticed the column. Uh, yeah, still probably pretty good position. Um, uh, the other card that's worth pointing out uh, that's made a move from standard demand is Growth Chamber Guardian. In all the early lists from standard this week, uh, anything that's running green, and there are multiple different ways to go about that. You can build Teamer decks, you can build Jun decks, you can build green red, you can build green blue. Um, uh, green is going to be present in multiple archetypes in the format. The format looks very broad right now. Um, but this common element that threads through all of them is Growth Chamber Guardian, which is basically taking on the role of the Squadron Hawk, the um, value creature that replaces itself, um, but with the upside of being able to grow larger and having uh, all sorts of shenanigans that can go on with the plus one, plus one counters. Um, Growth Chamber Guardian going from four to 650 <clears throat> doesn't surprise me. This could be the $10 rare out of the set. Hmm. I, I, I hadn't really done a lot for me on paper, but those... <clears throat> Uh, cog rares like gutter bones uh, don't have to be necessarily amazing on paper. They just have to work really well in practice. So you know, if that for if this first weekend comes and you see it in half of the green decks, then you will know that it is the a key component. Yeah, I mean the the other one like this is Hydroid Crassus, which I think a lot of people misread the first time. When I first looked at it, I, uh, along with many others, assumed that the uh, X portion of the spell uh, was halved when, in terms of how big a creature you made. Um, but it's only the life gain and the card car draw that's halved. The power and toughness are the full X. So if you go uh, X green blue, you get a 4-4 four, four that draws two cards and gains two life. Mm -hmm. um, so this has been showing up on a lot of lists as well uh, and it's gone from 9 to 15 for about a 65% gain people that pre-ordered it real early have a chance to double out here um, I think there's a chance that this mythic falls down below 10 if it's only paid a, played as a 1 or a 2 of and if the format narrows and only one of the decks is running it at all but if the format stays broad and 2 or 3 different archetypes end up running it and it's a 2 or a 3 of or even a 4 of um, and you, you see it start to win uh, or top 8 uh, starting with the Star City Games tournament this weekend, then there's a chance that this becomes a 20 to 25, even $30 mythic, depending on just how many archetypes are running it and how many copies are in play. Sure. Uh, I saw several people talking about the card, and um, I guess I have always loved Simic stuff, but I know that it hasn't been good and standard in a very long time. So if I, we were talking about this a while ago. I've talked about this a couple of times. I'm not sure Simic has ever actually been a consistent tier one deck in standard. Um, if it has, it's been a real long time ago. But uh, I tend to dismiss Simic cards at this point only because I'm so used to it not being good. Um, it would be awesome if it were. I love I love the, the guild. It's my favorite. Yeah, I agree. I think it's fun. Um, I think there's, having looked over a lot of the lists from Standard, this looks like it's going to be a very good season. Um, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Uh, that looks pretty exciting. The only question is whether there's going to be some broken deck, something based on Wilderness Reclamation, um, possibly, that dominates the format and forces a banning. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's going to be a great standard post-banning, right? <laughs> <laughs> possibly. Um, 
It's also possible that the red and red black decks and the blue blue green uh, decks uh, that lean on dive down are just going to be too fast um, for the control decks. So we'll have to see how it shapes up. I, if I had to place money on anything, I would say that uh, you're going to see three or four red decks in the top eight this weekend at the SCG. So checking back, as we have seen so many times at the at the head of a format, especially one that looks uh, like it has as many powerful red cards as this one does. Um, that the, the spectacle cards, I think, were underrated. Uh, we talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, that people were underestimating how often you would get to cast things for spectacle. There's the sorcery speed lightning bolt that looks like it's going to make it into the modern burn deck. Um, uh, and the uh, I forget what the name of the card is, but the two red sorcery that lets you basically draw two cards and play them. Uh, if you've got the mana to do so for one red, if you spectacle, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So people, A, missed that that lets you uh, uh, play lands if you get them off the top. So if it's play land, cast another bolt, and you already had spectacle, and the bolt that you draw is the spectacle bolt, then that's just pure value. Um, You know, if you're paying two red to put a land into play and cast a burn spell, (laughs) you could be doing a lot worse in a burn deck. Yeah, it's there's a lot of potency there in uh, in that in those decks, and that's what's going to prey on the Bant on any sort of Bant Nexus of Fate deck. Anyways, those are naturally going to be softer to a hyper aggressive deck that's going to kill it before it can get set up. And if that's what they really gave Rakdos the tools for, uh, that might be enough to keep any of those Reclamation decks at bay um, until Nexus of Fate rotates, and maybe there isn't the tools left in standard after m19 for that card to really keep doing continue to be a problem it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out i'm going to be you know i don't really pay that much attention to standard like i don't think either of us do it's not like we're at fnm playing every week but this one in particular will be fun to keep an eye on if only because i have a bet writing on it (laughs) (laughs) fair um, so one of the other things worth noticing uh, or noting is that Stoneforge Mystic, of course, got run up in advance of the BNR announcements. Um, of course, the only change to modern was the banning of Kark Clan Ironworks, shutting down the KCI builds. Um, there was some discussion that it probably should have been Scrap Trawler instead of KCI that was banned, since the the removal of KCI doesn't necessarily gut that shell for the future. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Stoneforge Mystic has been run up as early as last spring, uh, last early summer, I believe, that BNR period at the end of Q2. Uh, if I recall correctly, there was another buyout on Stoneforge Mystics. And the interesting thing here is that even though people keep jumping ahead of the game and trying to anticipate what's go- that it's going to be unbanned, um, seemingly because they believe it to be relatively innocuous, Wizards did confirm this time that one of the reasons they didn't unban it was because they that the the deck that was putting up the second most top eights in the format was at major tournaments was actually um, blue white or Jeskai control builds, and they were worried that Stoneforge Mystic would uh, add additional consistency there. Now a lot of uh, the players that play those decks countered with that's not even a card we would necessarily consider, but it's interesting to note that if if that pressure lets off, if the blue white decks. Um, stop putting up those kind of results for the rest of the year. There is, a, it sounds like there might be a chance that it would they would look at unbanning it again. Um, it wasn't a, it's, it wasn't a. This is way too powerful. We will never do this. It was the the we're trying to sculpt a metagame here, 
and we don't want to further um, enhance decks that are already doing really well, um, was the message I was getting. But the funny part is this concept that we've talked about in the past, attrition. The idea that when cards are bought, even if the people that buy them were wrong, like you know, speculators buy up several hundred copies um, off the market in the week leading up to a BNR announcement, they don't all get buy listed the week after. Um, a lot of that stuff sits in people's boxes of shame for a really long time and doesn't come back into the market because of people's cognitive dissonance over the fact that they messed up um, or they find ways to play it or trade it away or whatever. And as a result, um, I would expect a major retrace on Stoneforge this week, but I bet you it won't be back quite as low as it was before this started. And that will be interesting to map out because it will speak volumes about the uh, impact that attrition has on the market if something gets bought out repeatedly without without strong demand. Which will then be a torrent of copies when, if it does get unbanned, right? Like that price isn't going to keep isn't going to creep down that much because you keep having people, you know, people in the same space as you and I who keep stealing them up. And eventually they take enough liquid copies out of the market that the floor of the card actually does rise. But then when they unban Stoneforge Mystic, everyone's going to be like, well, time to get paid. And you could see hundreds or, you know, thousands realistically of copies reentering the market. Maybe not all on one platform and not all in one day, but there'll be a pretty good surge to meet that demand. Um, and I think I think kind of happened with Blood Raid Elf too, right? People kept buying that and buying that and buying that. They did unban Blood Raid Elf, right? I'm not crazy. That is legal now. Yeah, but it was reprinted in Eternal Masters as an uncommon. So yeah, well, yeah, it was like five printings prior to that anyway. So yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. All the people who keep buying up Stoneforge Mystics, you can look at the price graph and see when the BNR updates are, and when people yeah. when the BNR updates that people expect to get unbanned are, but. Did you hear DJ talking on BSB this week about how he has 400 copies of Restore Balance? Huh. No, and I am at this point. There have got to be way more people who own more copies than I do. I think I bought I bought like I don't know between fifty and seventy five on my very initial spec, which was like I don't know probably seven years ago. And I never I never went back to the well. Like I bought my bunch and I was done, and I left it and continued to do other things. So uh, even if I even if this does get there, other people will make more money than I will. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I was watching uh, Sean McLaren uh, on Twitch the other night playing a few different versions of the As Foretold Electro Dominance builds. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one that relied on Restore Balance, Wheel of Fate, and, uh, and so, well, Wheel of Fate? Yeah, Wheel of Fate. Yeah, and, it's Wheel of Fate. And um, Ancestral Vision didn't look too exciting. Uh mm-hmm. The the versions that are fooling around with living end, however, mm-hmm. might be the key to unlocking things. And I don't think we've even seen final form there yet, because most of the ones that I, there's a blue red version um, that relies on a lot of the cycling cards from the Amonkhet block, like Stripe Riverwinder and all that. Um, mm-hmm. That looked relatively pretty tight. Um, there's a build that uh, was mentioned on BSB by I think uh, the guest this week. I forget what her name is. Cat. I can't remember her last name. Um, but anyway, uh, there's a version that she referenced, which is basically, uh, faithless looting to dump Kiki Jiki restoration angel in the yard and, and then electro dominance living in the next turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's nasty. Yeah. The, I, I, so I have a couple thoughts. The first is that it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that the living end version would look better than 
a restore balance or wheel of fate type strategy simply because we know what living and successful living index look like, right? Those have existed. Uh, people built some various versions with just as foretold in the past. So there's more work on it. Uh, a restore balance wheel of fate deck would be is brand new territory. Um, so it's probably going to take some more time for people to figure that out equation. And my favorite little uh, quip on that topic is that the Gorio's Vengeance Nursing Shoal deck was completely legal and modern for years before somebody finally put the pieces together. Um, so even if a deck doesn't exist, it doesn't mean someone will find it. Uh, I, there's also no possible way we're anywhere close to final form on any of them, including Living End, uh, just because it's such a... Especially, it feels like kind of a, a little bit of a metagamey deck. I think you, you know, with between Electrodominance and As Foretold, you've definitely got some room to make things work. Um, so I would imagine it gives you some flexibility in how, what problems you want to attack in the format um, and try and figure out how many enablers and that type of thing. But that'll be fun to watch too. It's, you know, it's a real bummer that uh, Toronto is the, the uh, cost of entry at Toronto is so expensive because it would be fun to throw something together and get it a shot, but not for 80 Canadian. <laughs> well, I mean, as we said last time, you can always play modern side events, which are still pr- plenty competitive in Toronto. Right, they, right. Uh, well, I don't want competitive. I want people to give me free wins. <laughs> all right. Well, in which case, side events are even better. <laughs> all right. So moving right along, uh, Smothering Tithe, non-foils, moving from two to five on an early uh, sway, uh, swell of uh, EDH demand for a card that is almost certainly going to post up as a staple there. And the only question on this card is, are we going to get a shot at foils at a very reasonable price? Uh, I'm going with, well, what's the foil at today? I didn't actually look before we started. Uh, this is an uncommon, right? Or is it a rare? It's an uncommon, I'm pretty sure. So it's got to be on the lower side of things. So like two bucks, three bucks now, because it's the non-foils. No, it's a rare. Oh, it is a rare? It's a rare. Yeah, and there are only... 10 foils listed on TCG right now, and they want 15 for them. Um, I think that's probably a buy, and I'm hoping I'm going to get end up getting them in the 8 to 10 range once the inventory fills no in. No way. There's no way it's a buy at 15. I, I think that this is a future... Like, give it three to four years, that's a 40 or $50 foil. Mm. Winter winter set rare, so, so it's not mm. fall set. 40 or $50 for a card in Ravnica Legion. In four years. Uh, in four I, years. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't give it to you. If you had said 25, I would have made a little bit of a groan, but probably would have said, sure. Not 40 or 50. So I would argue that this, this card fits into more decks than Panharmonicon and will, and is from a small set instead of a full set. And as a result, will beat Panharmonicon's price three years out by five or $10 on voice. Panharmonicon's two years old and this is only at 13, 14. Now, I, for yeah. foils? Yeah but, yeah, but there's nothing left. Yeah, but that's a tipping point card. There's almost nothing left. Well, I like Panharmonicon. Summer. I like foil Panharmonicon foil. I like foil Panharmonicon too, right? Like we we both talked about it. I guess 40 to $50 just seems a bit much, mostly because it's kind of a, it's a utility card in EDH. It's not a big, splashy, fun effect like doubling season. It's a card that people are going to play a lot because it's good and useful. But it feels like they'll they. I feel like utility foils tend to be a little less appealing than fun foils, and this is definitely a utility foil, a utility card. I should let, say. let me walk. 
let me walk it back and claim 25 Done. within three years and, st- and, and argue that 15 to 25 is still very reasonable in that time frame. Uh, I, so uh, I agree that that's a reasonable time frame for that card price or for that change to occur. Uh, it is funny to hear you say a $10 increase over three years is a good profit, though, only because if that's it, the type of thing that you would have a tendency to say, why bother to do that when you could do the same thing in three months with a different card? Yep. And you're completely right. The I, I would never say that this is a priority at current pricing. I'm just saying if you're looking to buy it, I don't think you're going to lose money in the long term. If you buy your personal copy, goes from 15 down to 8. You and I are buying in in the 8 to 10 zone, probably overseas. And give it a couple of years and you're going to get back up over the 15 you bought in at. Um, It's possible that it goes up from here without going down. But I I suspect that we will see the retrace down to 8 or 10 because the initial swell of EDH demand, the people that already know they must have a copy, will do their thing in the same way that people did with like Ultimate Masters box toppers. Um, and then there'll be a little bit of a lull as people move on to the next big thing. Well, I completely agree with you there. I do think we see the price come well down from 15 because it's, it's it even pre-release was this last weekend. So it's not even officially mm-hmm. released yet. There's going to be a lot yep. of supply still entering the market for the next couple of weeks. So I'm not really buying any Ravnica Allegiance cards, no matter how much I like them, uh, until that supply settles in a little bit. What's your price target on this card? Probably photos. seven or eight. I mean, really, I, I would likely try and hit five or six. Um, nice. And then if it looks like it's, scra- it's scraping seven and then just refusing to drop, then maybe you finally say, okay, fine, I'll go up from here. Um, but I would I would hope for, you know, six, five, six bucks. Yep. That, that would be a very nice entry point because I, I feel whether or not we're going to debate between 20 and 30, I think we both feel confident it will definitely be over 15 by the time things are set and done. Yes, I have no problem agreeing to that whatsoever. All right. Uh, so next on the list. Uh, following Smothering Tithe is Helm of the Gas Lord. I know you're all very familiar with that, but just because I forgot, let me tell you what that is. It's a four mana enchantment common from Shadowmoor. If the creature is black, it gets 1-1 and has Aphidian. Or I'm sorry, if it's blue, it gets 1-1 and Aphidian. If it's black, it gets 1-1 and... Oh, what's the one where they... Deals damage to an opponent, they discard a card. Spectre? Yeah, so it's an Aphidian Spectre. Um, I'm suspecting this is from Yuriko, is my best guess, because I'm looking at foils that have gone from about $1.50 to 4 And Helm of the Gas Lord wants you to play blue-black creatures that are connecting with your opponent. And I've noticed an uptick on Eureka decks on EDA track the last week or two. Uh, and this would definitely fits right in there. So that's it's not, not unfortunately not it's not reported in that deck. In fact, 80% of the demand is from Nekasar. Nekasar. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I would chalk that one up to Shadowmore foils are always in low supply and it doesn't take much for them to here. I was before. trying to look for a reason and there just is none. It's chaos in the void. A dollar fifty to four is is the the ugly yeah. ugly spot anyway. It's moving right along. Atog, Mirden foils, same kind of thing. Three dollars to eight dollars in theory, but I don't know who's playing Atogs these days, so I would just ignore that and move on. Breaching Leviathan from Commander twenty fourteen in theory, moving from two to five. 
Um, I'm assuming this is somebody just targeting a commander-only card. Uh, it is a commander-only card, yes. Pretty reasonable, too. Uh, it's in like it's reported in 1,200 decks. This is a 9-9 for 9, two, 7, and 2 blue. When Breaching Leviathan enters the battlefield, if you cast it from your hand, tap all non-blue creatures. Those creatures don't untap during their controller's next untap steps. Yeah, you can even do some annoying crap where you bounce this to your hand and then recast it every time. Um, for a, a very soft lock. Cool card. Uh, commander only. Might come around in another commander set. But it's been been like five years now. To be quite perfectly honest. I forgot this card existed. This is from C14. And is currently 2019. So we will be seeing commander 2020 later this year. So five and a half years. Given that buy, buy lists are only at like 65 cents on this. Uh, even the person holding whoever bought a double fistful or whatever is probably going yeah. to regret it. So <laughs> call that a breach. Just move on. Judith. Is scur- yeah. Judith, the scourge diva, uh, however, is a very real card for standard. The black, red aggro decks are looking very powerful. Um, Judith moved from two fifty uh, on pre-order to $8 probably holds somewhere between four and eight. I would guess heading into this peak supply period um, on the basis that she is typically run as a three or a four of in those decks. Um, she's kind of the engine that makes them work. Um, so, I mean, if you spotted it early and picked up a few play sets that you're going to out for a double up after fees, so mm-hmm. be it. Well done. Judith is cool. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, 250 to eight, like it's a, we're talking about non-foil legendary rare. Uh, uh, it's a tough sell to me for eight bucks. I mean, how good does this card have to be? Like, we basically agreed that for a rare to be eight dollars in standard from a current from the current set, it has to be like a multi-format rare. We're, we're talking about like Sylvan Carrieted type of rare. Judith is not that card. Uh, All right, let's say you bought 10, 10 play sets at ten dollars a playset. Two fifty, and each. you can, and you think you can undercut people by a few bucks by selling play sets for twenty six eighty eight or something. Hmm on tcg right now are you just outing that all that inventory right now a million percent not even looking back yep okay um i agree with that can can we just take a moment to appreciate that the the queen diva of these you know leather bound masochistic carnival goers is judith Judith yeah. from accounting, <laughs> Judith, the CPA, yeah. the single woman with four cats who lives above you and eats a lot of frozen dinners. Judith. Th- those, are, those are the women that are always the best dominatrixes, dude. <laughs> they have, they have an inner fire Nicely. <clears throat> and a lot of, and they have a lot of pent up aggression from all the mansplaining that goes on at the office. That's, that's possible. Judith, just such <laughs> a, such a bland name for such an evocative character. Yeah, I can, I can get, I can get with it. Sure. The uh, Naya Panorama foils, uh, following the footsteps of all of the shards of Alara, uh, uh, crappy fetchlands um, that have been highlighted on Budget Commander YouTube channel uh, recently. Um, this one moving from five dollars to twenty-two, which is super amusing, right? Every time a budget content creator highlights something and then it takes off, you just can't help but chuckle. <laughs> Like, okay, so so you don't have to buy a twenty dollar fetch land. You can just buy these uh, sweet foil uh, panoramas. Oh wait, they're the same price as the fetch land. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the foils, yes, for sure. At least, but 
it's like yeah there's this sort of like foil pauper cards right it's like do you get this do you get why you own this card in the first place why do you want a why do you want a foil budget card i don't know whatever someone's gonna buy them good for you uh fine the uh, I, I guess the thing with the panoramas right is that they've been reprinted in commander but never as yes foil. yeah so that's that's what's propping this up is that they i think we got them in commander 2013 and haven't seen them since but probably we'll see them again most likely in a commander product where the fact that they reference alara doesn't really matter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um finally brilliant ultimatum foils out of shards of alara 250 to 25 uh are you what? do you yeah, so do you see something here that i don't okay just making sure um all right Cards to watch. You've got quite a bit to talk about this week. Yeah, the first two picks are pretty sketchy. Like this, these are the only picks I'm comfortable making about standard, um, other than identifying utterly broken, utter brokenness like wilderness reclamation, um, which I think was obvious to most people. Is that there are some mythics that are low priced enough that if they turn into a major deck in the format and they're played as foros, which they seem like they will be. Um, they could be a big deal. Uh, so the first of them is a card that was featured in a Star City Games article uh, today, on the premium side that other people were talking about all over the place afterwards. So uh, I feel comfortable sharing it here. Um, and basically, this is a deck that is also built around Wilderness Reclamation, but not with the same cast of characters that most people were expecting. This deck is not built around Teferi. Um, instead, it's built a bunch of, around a bunch of guild gates and guild summit. So guild summit is an enchantment that says when guild summit enters the battlefield, you may tap any number of untapped gates you control. Draw a card for each gate tapped this way. Whenever a gate enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. So once you get that engine going, you're playing cards like growth spiral and uh, circuitous route to search up gates out of your library and plop them into play, which is drawing you more cards and like getting you deeper and deeper into your ramp strategy. You're also playing Gift of Paradise and, of course, the Three Wilderness Reclamation, which might be one of the more broken cards in Standard. And then the deck is running Four Nexus of Fate as a, a win condition um, or the setup to the win condition, uh, as well as Emergency Powers. So Emergency Powers is the instant for five white-blue, which is basically Time Twister. Each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards, exile Emergency Powers. So you've got Nexus of Fate, which is like a quote-unquote fixed Power 9 card. Emergency Powers, which is a quote-unquote fixed Power 9 card, being uh, broken again on the back of Wilderness Reclamation. And what you end up doing in this deck is clearing the way with two copies of Gates Ablaze, which deals X damage to all creatures where X is the number of gates you control. You have a couple of fog effects. And then when you're ready, you can create uh, with Warrant and Warden, you can create a 4-4 white and blue Sphinx creature token. Um, and you have a single copy of Hydroid Crassus. Hmm. This is something else. Uh in the article, which is well worth subscribing uh, to the Star City Games premium side, I've told people again and again, mggprice.com is worth it. Quiet Speculation is worth it. Star City Games is worth it. Pretty much any of the major content providers are worth it when you get access to this stuff early on and the level of analysis that can key you into things rounds out the portfolio. I think that mm-hmm. the best way to be doing MTG Finance is to be admitting that most other 
uh, content sources are going to know more than you about a certain subject matter and to key into those and figure out who is that much smarter than you that they're going to put you ahead of the game by you consuming their content. Um, this is definitely one of those times. Uh, this deck looks really nasty. Um, and I don't think anybody saw a Guildgate deck coming um, that leverages, for instance, Plaza of Harmony, giving you three life every time uh, uh, when it enters the battlefield, you get three life and it can create mana of any color as long as you have um, a gate, uh, Guildgate in play. Um, well, sorry, produces whatever mana your Guildgates can produce. So it's like a painless city of brass that gives you three life when it comes into the battlefield and it doesn't enter the battlefield tapped. That's a pretty good land. In that's, this a, deck. that's a lot. It does a lot of work for you. Yeah. Um, I've long been a proponent of listening to players who pay more attention to the game than they do with the finance because they they know what they're thinking about, or they know what they're talking about. They they think about things differently than we do. Um, th- th- that's that's a really great source of information, and I try and defer all of my. You know, whenever I get questions about like what's going to be good or hot or whatever, I say, you know, don't look, don't look at me. Look at the people who actually play this game for a living and are playing on the pro tour. Like they're the ones to listen to. Just take the cues from them. They'll tell you what to buy. The deck and sounds. The, what, hmm? Deck sounds. Uh, I was going to go on and talk about emergency powers, but you can finish yeah, your thought. Yeah. I was just say I, I think you know this is a this is a mythic right emergency powers yeah. is a mythic one. $3 for a standard mythic is very appealing. Obviously, that's basically the floor if you manage to see that price. Um, and it is a real powerful effect. So I don't I don't dislike this at all. Uh, you've got a long time for it to work. Um, you're hearing Pat Chapin talk about how good he thinks Reclamation is and so forth. So there's a lot of a lot of utility there. I'm I don't I don't dislike this at all. It's hard for me to complain about any standard mythic at three dollars, especially one that could make the transition to commander as well. Um just gives you so oh, many it, vectors for the card. And an emergency power is easily clears the bar for commander. Yes, yeah, yeah. No question no question about that. So it's like, well, you have the possibility of breaking out in standard. And also it's pretty playable in EDH as well. So really your risk is quite low. And you've got a long time for it to be realized. Like one of the nice things in Commander is that it the time twister effect shuffles graveyards back into libraries. So depending on what your meta's like and the kind of decks you're facing, if they're le- heavily relying on a deep graveyard, you can like just wreck that. And that and, and seven mana is nothing in a format where you have mana crypt, mana vault, and soul ring. So being able to um, cast this on your main phase effectively on like say turn four or five in that format and drop a like Ugin or something onto the battleground while everybody shuffles everything up is crazy pants. Yeah, and uh, the exactly the type of deck playing Soul Rings and Monocrypts is the type of deck that's going to love a Wheel of Fate effect. Uh, the only problem with that is no one's going to want to play Magic with you, but that's a separate topic. So th- here's the thing. One of the in- things that I think is unique about this standard format is that there are more archetypes than I think we've seen recently. Like there, there are more different uh, build strategies, even within the same colors. And even amongst Nexus of Fate decks, it's not clear which one will come to the forefront as being the one that is, if any, will will end up being playable if the format is hyper aggro. So maybe it's the Guildgate based one. Maybe it's one of the other builds. Like I was surprised to see that in this build, there is no Teferi. Um, I thought the thing that you wanted to main phase into play with your emergency powers was going to be Teferi Hero of Dominaria, and then you start the Nexus of Fate lock with him. Hmm. But nope, 
he's not in the deck at all. So does that mean Teferi is going to be in lesser demand or does it mean that the Teferi builds that use Nexus of Fate are going to do better? I have no idea. Um, but I tell you what, I want to have a shopping cart uh, ready with a whole bunch of emergency powers just in case this thing top eights SCG this weekend. And if I'm being honest, I went ahead and already bought 12 copies at three because I figured long shots back of the set. That seems fine um, with a little discount coupon on top of that. And the next card I feel pretty similarly about, but haven't bought any of. Um, March of the Multitudes was something we identified early on in the last uh, set review um, for Ravnica uh, in the fall um, because its role in a token deck seemed assured if token decks were good. Turned out token decks weren't that good. They get popped up here and there, but they didn't make a huge didn't make a huge splash in the format. Certainly probably we're not in the top three decks so far um the question now becomes is this now the time for that for a token strategy to shine now that we have afterlife from the orzov guild um and a lot of mana fixing if march of the multitudes gets there in a tokens build as a three or a four of then it probably gets off the plateau of four dollars a copy and might get up to something like eight or ten or twelve yes so i March of Multitudes was awesome, spiked very early, came back down. I think it was not that many weeks ago that I was talking about this uh, because I saw it as a possible gainer in the face of coming standard. Uh, now I want to go back and look for it, but I won't. But I know it was not that long ago that we talked about it. Um, this is another another sleeper pick that I think is 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 great. Uh, because even if even if the deck doesn't need any of the Orzov cards, the change of the metagame may make the tokens deck better than it has been. Um, but it would surely pick up a couple choices from from the from the Orzov tools anyway. So I another mythic that seems very well positioned. People were high on. We saw high price, didn't get there, but the potency and the potential and the interest in the card exists so it, it's a gamble right because you don't know if it's going to be good but we know that there's definitely a belief that it could be good and what you'll find is that if you if you see a card that goes up in price like march the multitudes and then recede because it never quite gets there uh it's much more able you're much more likely to see those cards pop if they get interesting again because people are ready for them to be good they're they're ready and willing for that to be a useful and valuable card in a way that they have to be kind of proven with other cards um so basically that's a long way of saying i like where march of the multitudes is coming from it's still a gamble but it's a very educated gamble yeah so as I said, these are not the cards to run out and buy huge quantities of right now. These are these and a few others are the cards you want to have in your cart ready to go. And then you want to watch the Star City open this weekend and see how things are developing. Um, I suspect what you're going to see is a bunch of aggro decks kicking the crap uh, out of the control decks while they kind of figure out what configuration they're supposed to be on. And there are some mid-range decks um, that could be in any number of different colors. Like could be Esper mid-range, could be... Uh, well, really anything. White, green, black could be junk, could be jund. Um, there's a lot of stuff in play right now. Um, and at least two or three aggro decks. There's also apparently an elf ball brew. Like, y- you can play mega elves um, and do all sorts of nastiness and go over the top. So, we'll see. Um, this is not. This is a tournament. going to be a tournament to watch if you're interested in speculating on standard. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, I'll be trying to tune in to keep an ear on everything that's going on. 
Um, my first card this week is uh, Zulaport Cutthroat, a uh, slightly larger brother to Blood Artist. Uh, Zulaport Cutthroat's two mana, one one. Whenever a creature you control, whenever any creature dies, sorry, I should probably know what the card says before I start talking about it. Whenever it or a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So it hits everybody instead of just one person. Um, so Blood Artist triggered on any creature dying. Zulaport Cutthroat triggers on your creatures dying. But generally, it's still going to be useful, especially because it does more damage in an EDH game rather than targeting the damage you're hitting everybody with it. Um, so you it ultimately, compared to Blood Artist, you probably gain a little bit less life, but you're capable of doing more damage, uh, which, of course, is what we like to see. Uh, foils at the moment from Battle for Zendikar are about three bucks hanging around in that ballpark. It's in 12,000 EDH decks. Uh, Blood Artist, by comparison, is about 18 or 19,000. Of course, that's been around for much longer than Zulaport Cutthroat has. Uh, Zulaport Cutthroat was also an M25, but there's even less stock of the foil M25 copies than the uh, Zulaport Cutthroat. Yeah, the that's weird. Battle for Zendikar copies, yeah. Uh, so... Does that mean that there wasn't that much M25 out there? Does it mean that people like that one more? Uh, I don't really have an answer for you. I just know that that doesn't seem to be adding a significant amount of supply to the market right now. Um, Blood Artist, Abyssin, Abyssin Restored Foils are like eight or nine bucks. But the problem with that is that Blood Artist Foils uh, or Abyssin Restored Foils are bad. Like they're not good foils. Uh, and then the EMA foil, it was an EMA, Blood Artist was an EMA, which is an uncommon. So, you know, had a good a bit of inventory there. So all, all said and done, I think $3 is a very reasonable price for Zulaport Cutthroat Foils. It looks like you're looking at probably 7 to $9 pretty easily. Um, and it could be upwards of 10 or 15 because there's not that many Blood Artists out there either. Um, and I especially like it now because the Nutesia commander uh, coming out of Ravnica Allegiance really wants you to kill all of your creatures constantly. Um, and Zulaport Cutthroat is going to love that because you could easily set up turns where you're sacrificing 5, 10, 25 creatures, which is going to do a tremendous amount of damage to your opponents. So I see Zulaport and Blood Artist's major components of any Tezia strategy. Um, so if you have a huge glut of people rushing to build Tezia over the next couple months, it's going to put a lot of drag on this existing supply on these couple dollar foils. And if I'm interpreting you correctly, you're suggesting this is a buy list play, right? Like snap up four, eight, 12 of the foils real cheap and then look to double up on some future buy list. You know, I always like to kind of split when I'm doing something like this. Um, if I see the price rise, to a good point, I will list a couple of them on TCG Player and see how briskly they're selling. If you're getting, if you're moving your copies, if you're selling one or two a day or even more, then I'm probably not shooting for the buy list right away. But if the price goes up several dollars and you've got a lot of them, um, excuse me, but they're not selling briskly enough, then yes, I will just dump it to a buy list for store credit, take it and run. Um, I did that with Mizzix's mm -hmm. Masteries a while ago. Uh, because then you don't have to worry about all the work with selling them. If you've got 12 copies, you can sell those individually. If you've got 40 copies, 50 copies, I would just buy list some and do something else with your time. The thing is, as a commander card, I don't want to be shipping these one at a time for $4. I want to buy list them at 250 when I bought them at $0.98. Cents. 
And the nice thing here is that Card Kingdom's already offering 98 cents in credit, and you can get copies cheaper than that in the open market. So well, when, I'm talking about the foils here. So am I. You can get foils cheaper than a dollar? Yeah, the foil the foil uh, M25s are like uh, 65 cents shipping included. They start out on TCG. But as you said, the supply is not deep. Um, so, for instance, the best seller right now is MTG Mint Card, 94 cents a copy plus 99 cents shipping. Card Kingdom basically backs that play automatically. So the, if the assumption here is that that's going to get up to two or three because the new Afterlife Commander uh, or the Double Death Triggers Commander is going to bring this to the forefront, and we've already seen it reprinted in the last couple of years, so we probably won't see it for a few more, then you're looking, I'm assuming you're looking for a, 12, a buy list play like 12 to 18 months out. Uh, yeah, that would be great. Are they really that low? For the, for the yeah, yeah, for, for the I, M25s, I yeah. Oh yeah, they are ninety four cents. And when I pulled it up, I saw the dollar fifties. I didn't scroll down far enough to notice that they were um, MTG Mint Card had them for ninety four cents. Jeez, it's a good buy. The, the, well, the more, the more now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Travis leaves you guys any. Um, all right, so moving on to my next pick. Uh, similarly, Hedron Archive, uh, a foil uh, mediocre mana rock from the Battle for Zendikar block. Um, which is if you if you say BFC foil uncommon, you don't really get my eyes to light up. Except that one of our listeners pointed out to me this week that there were very few of these left anywhere because it has been reprinted in commander sets, but of course never as foil. Um, and it's reported in twenty thousand decks on EDH Rec. Mm-hmm. Now someone else pointed out, well, how much of that twenty thousand is just people playing with it uh, in the deck that where they got it? Um, a fair amount of that is probably true, but even if you assume that you know half of the that many those those players are still running the card, having upgraded their deck later, um, or even a third of them, and then you multiply that by five or ten to represent how many people not reporting on EDH Rec are still playing the format, um, I think it, it doesn't take very much to get around to believing that five dollar foils which are still scattered around the internet in various places and probably at your lo- local shop for a couple of copies, um, will end up in the 10 to $20 range in relatively short order here. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Hadron Archive is great. I've played it in a couple of my own decks. Foil, Mono Rocks, and EDH are always tempting. And five bucks for a low supply, one that's got a proven case of demand, uh, I'm all for it, You know, especially if you're looking to see this get printed in Commander decks over and over, but rarely get a foil. Yeah, this, this has a similar feel to me uh, as your Ashnod's Altar. Was it Ashnod's Altar or Phinerexian Altar last week? Ashnod's. Ashnod's. Um, yeah, th- that one was better um, because it came from EMA, not BFC. But I, this is the kind of card where because people aren't like holding foil playsets of this for any particular reason, like if they, a lot of these, this is again an attrition situation where a lot of these foil uncommons are just sitting around in collections and no one's going to think to drag them out when they're trading cards in um unless they you know listen to this they're (laughs) they're not even going to realize this card is on the on the move and when they get around to reprinting this down the road and i could easily see this showing up in a master set say two three years out from here um you know these foils will collapse Uh, but original printing foils have held up in these kinds of situations when they are true staples so a, I think you're going to get your time to get from 5 to 15 here and then, you know, trade into buy list or whatever. B, um, it's a good card to have around if you're building commander decks. So you're you're going to be hard-pressed to get left out in the cold. And C, I think the, the master's printing is a ways away. Yep. 
Uh, I mean, if you ever even see a master's printing, that could be quite some time. Um, all right. My second card for the week is Temio Field Researcher. I'm looking also at the foils from Eldritch Moon. Um, they're about 15 to 16 bucks right now, but there's very few at that price. Uh, they ramp up to 20 very quickly. There's a, she's in about six, a little over 6,000 decks, which is a decent number. I mean, given that she's three colors, that's actually a pretty good play pattern. Um, you know, probably one third as many as a single color card. She also happens to be one of the, uh, a very popular card in Atraxa, who continues to be, I believe, the most popular commander of all time, relatively. Uh, so very good chops there. And Atraxa has held that mantle for quite some time. People keep going back. They keep building Atraxa. People that are building Atraxa are looking at the EDA truck page and seeing Tamio Field Researcher. So I kind of like the little bit of feedback loop that you have going there. Um, supply is low. The ramp is ultra steep. Uh, like I said, you can grab copies at 15, 16 bucks right now. If you do some digging, this seems like a pretty easy ride up to $30 for a like winter set foil planeswalker. Yeah. Slam dunk. Uh, I play her and attracts it with doubling season out. She basically wins the game on the spot. Um, she's nasty, nasty and mm-hmm. not the kind of card I think that will be prioritized for a reprint anytime soon. No. Um, very as you said relatively few foils i wouldn't be i'm not super interested in the non-foils because that supply is relatively deep but the foils drying up and uh this isn't the kind of thing i want to be holding 20 copies of but it is certainly the kind of thing i'd be happy to have three or four copies of and you know sell one every few months or so in the course of doing my usual ebay business mm-hmm. yep yep not intended that you buy 80 of them but you know if you if you want one now's the time to buy it uh and i'm sure if you had a couple extra you wouldn't be upset about it yeah uh, buy list look like they're propping it up at around ten dollars credit, so hard to go too wrong. The worst you could do is losing something like thirty percent, and that's only if you decide that you want to reinvest the money somewhere that's got greater acceleration. Okay, so what's your last card of the week? Uh, my last pick is really just a echo of something I picked a couple weeks ago when I pointed out that Judge Foil Asusa Lost but Seeking was too cheap. When copies were sitting around at 35, I said they would get to 50. They are basically there. So that's uh, a spec success already noted. Hopefully people did well with that. Um, With KCI getting banned this week, however, um, I think that the Primeval Titan amulet of Vigor decks get a lot better in modern, uh, or at least uh, that much better, um, as KCI could prey on them. And without KCI present, they become one of the... um, more interesting combo decks that might come to the forefront. That puts Azusa Lost But Seeking, which is also has a strong EDH profile, back in the crosshairs, having been reprinted last year in M25. Um, and you can get foil copies of Azusa Lost But Seeking from M25 at, I think, $25. Let me just guarantee that I'm not dreaming on that number. Since I last looked this morning. Uh, let's see. Sorry, uh, it's the non-foils I'm talking about at 25 to get to 40. Um, foils are already drying up. There's like three copies between 35 and 40. I think those are probably buys as well left on TCG Player. But the non-foils are what I'm calling here at 25 to get to 40. Uh, yeah, what I'll be curious here is whether the return of Tron that we've seen is because it's good against KCI or just... It was good in general, and the removal of KCI will give it more room to grow. I'm inclined to think we'll see more action on the latter half of that than the former. 
which positions this very well. And as we saw with Zulport Cutthroat, it looks like foil M25 copies, you know, supply in general seems to be on the lower side, lower than I would have expected. So given the success we've had with the Judge one, this seems like a pretty easy walk up to 40. The other thing that I think is interesting is that the original printing from the Champions of Kamigawa block is clearly inferior art. Like the, the Judge promo foil and the M25 uh, version have the good art. Um, and I think players will recognize that and will gravitate towards the M25 copies despite them having inferior card stock. Yeah. Was M- M25 was one of the crummy ones. It's like, I wonder, it's okay-ish. How much are they? Um, I think the foils were more egregious than the non. Um, but uh, given how few foils are left in the market, uh, attention turns to the, the non-foils regardless because they're just... <laughs> There isn't a full play set of foils to be bought on TCG right now anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So good good stuff all around. Good stuff all around. Uh, all right. Metagame Week in Review? Yeah. What do you think? For once, we, for, for once this is actually pretty interesting. Um, I haven't looked over a bunch of standard lists for, for a long while and been like, ooh, <laughs> maybe I want to carve out some time to play standard. Like let, let me run some of these di- these decks by you that went five zero on uh, Magic Online uh, as of yesterday. You got a black red like aggro control list running four Dire Fleet Daredevil. That's a rare that might take off if this particular build does well. Four Rekindling Phoenix, which I suspect is going to get reprinted in the Challenger decks shortly. Four Siege Gang Commander. Four Treasure Map. Yeah. Three Elder. I, I just- can I just take a moment to appreciate the four Siege Gang Commander? It, the last time that happened was Onslaught, I think. Yeah. And Siege Gang Commander's been printed a couple times. Yeah. So this deck is like running three Eldest Reborn, four Treasure Map, two Banefire, two, two Duress, three Lava Coil, three Bedeck Bedazzle, uh, four Bedevil. Uh, that's obviously uh, auto four of in a black red deck. That's the destroy target artifact creature or planeswalker for three mana. And two Shock. So this is, you know, aggro with elements to clear the way to get your guys in there. Um, and it's got Jundish elements, right? Like Dire Fleet Daredevil is value. Rekindling Phoenix is value. Siege Gang Commander is value. None of these things fall easily to, to point removal. Um, and then you got on the other side of things, <clears throat> uh, the March of the Multitudes deck that I was talking about. So here's a version that went 5-0. Four March of the Multitudes, three Ajani Adversary of Tyrants out of M19, three Amara Soul of the Accord, four Growth Chamber Guardian, which you're going to see as a repeating theme in various decks here, four Incubation Druid, three Tristani Discordant, the mythic from the last uh, set in the fall, three Venerated Loxodon, four Flower and Flourish. It looks like these split cards are going to be widely played in almost every color combination. Four Conclave Tribunal, four History of Benalia, which has been the anchor of the tokens teams over the last year, uh, along with three Legions landing out of the Ixalan block. I, I'm I'm scrolling down this page, and these cards just get wilder and wilder the more of them I see. <laughs> yeah. So I think that you, you've got these like little kid blue decks, uh, the like Merfolk Tempest Jin decks that you that. Uh, rely on four dive down to counter all the point removal and just keep getting it in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's a thing with curious obsession to like do their flying Ophi- Ophidian uh, impersonation. 
Um, you've got Vivian Reed all over the place. I was actually looking at considering whether Vivian Reed was one of the mythic plays, but she's already a already expensive in the mid teens and B uh, there's plenty of supply despite her being from M19, which you would have thought might have led to there being less of her out there. But I think the, the demand for this card being localized to a certain period of standard has, has let a lot of supply build up. Um, but this is a green white deck that's running Vivian, three Vivian Reed, two Ajani adversary of tyrants. So all of a sudden we're seeing lots of Ajani Four biogenic ooze. That's that two, two for five. When it enters the battlefield, you get a two, two ooze at the beginning of your end step. All your oozes get bigger. And for four, you can create an ooze. Um, so a deck that has four biogenic ooze and four growth chamber guardian has a lot of, um, you know, go wide potential off single cards, like the general big value engine. And each time they play a creature that makes it really hard to deal with a point removal. Um, they're also running two deputy of detention four hydroid crisis, um, four incubation druid four Lanaware elves, of course, three grow spiral baffling and conclave tri- tribunal and a Hadana's climb. Um, interesting. If Hadana's climb only ends up as a one of the people that spec on that are are going to hope they get out faster than they might have expected. I ref- so two things. I'm seeing a lot of growth chamber guardian. That card is everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I also refuse to think that biogenic ooze is good. I am so used to every ooze being unplayable <laughs> that I can't imagine that one of them is actually good in standard. Acidic slime has been playable in standard as a five mana two two death touch destroy it's a, a thing. Snake, damn it! Acidic slime. It looks like a snake. Ooze, it brother. looks like a snake. <laughs> it looks like a snake. It is an honorary snake. I, I think it's worth mentioning because it has a similar value profile. The best, the upside for that card was you get a body, you kill a thing, and maybe you kill an extra thing on the way in. And I think that this other ooze plays very similarly, right? Like you drop it into a stalled out board and it starts to build up your advantage and has a built in kind of go off potential if they leave you alone. If you play this into a stable board state and they don't get rid of it, then you just keep making more and it just gets ridiculous. And they have to commit more resources to the board, but you don't. You can hold cards back as you lean on the ooze until they they deal with it. That's got a lot of upside. Um, and it's interesting because that's a mythic. What's Biogenic Ooze at right now? Mm, probably three bucks. Let's see. No, it's sitting at a bit. So the market is lukewarm on it. What's it at? Five or six. Hmm. Market's lukewarm, but there's a steep ladder on that. Like there, there are, I'm very curious to see where this goes. This could easily stall out at five and never move off of it. But if the, if there's a biogenic ooze deck that does well, then that's a $10 mythic as well. If this card can be $6, I like emergency powers even more at three. The, the thing is that the green decks seem to be slotting into various configurations. Whereas I think emergency powers, the gate deck has to do well. If the gate deck survives in the format and becomes the dominant Nexus of Fate deck and it posts up once or twice in each of the top eights, then Emergency Powers will hit the $10 mark. If that deck doesn't end up posting up like that in the format, then Emergency Powers will languish at three. Whereas Biogenic Ooze, it could be that the Jun build isn't correct or it is up front, but then three months later they're playing a Teamer build and then two months later they're playing a Junk build and Ooze is in it as a four of the whole time. That would also prop that card up over ten. Yeah, I. Yeah, 
Yeah, I do like emergency powers. I think you might sneak into other decks that you wouldn't anticipate, though. Like, it doesn't have to just be the Wilderness Reclamation deck or, you know, one specific archetype. That seems like it could do work in a couple different spots. Also, you know, for what it's worth, there's a ton of Biogenic Oozeless in this page, but it's still early. They will filter down to, you know, three decks, right? You'll have your three pillars of standard. Well, this is my question is, is this going to be a format that distill that like Theros block distills down to something very simplistic? Or is this going to be a format with a lot of options predicated on how good the mana is? Right. Um, The underlying, um, you know, pillar of this format is tremendously good mana fixing. Yeah. With all 10 of the shock lands now being available, plus a good set of duels from last year. Um, It's it's very possible that. the archetypes will represent in the traditional sense. We will have aggro mid-range control, but that the builds within those archetypes will be very fluid um, in this particular version of standard. That that would be my my guess. We're also seeing five lists here in green, red, white to Vivian Reed to Aurelia Exemplar of Justice, Growth Chamber Guardian again, but now with the Gruel side of things. So Gruel Spell, Spellbreaker, Four Night of Autumn, uh, for Lanawar Elves, for Rekindling Phoenix, for Skargan Hellkite, which is also a mythic. And if Skargan Hellkite decks do well, then that thing could be a $10, $15, $20 mythic. It's going to be very interesting to see how this top eight sh- sh- shapes up this weekend because there are a bunch of mythics that are at a very attractive price point if they're going to do well for the next six months. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and be near a stream Saturday to see how this moves. Um, you know who called Vivian was uh, Ad was late last year maybe fall. I, I, rem- I remember that and i remember thinking he was nuts <laughs> and i and i want to now i need now i need to go back and see how low vivian reed got what was it when nobody was playing it I think it was like seven bucks wasn't it i mean i picked up a stack of nissa ravane was it nissa ravane uh well i have piled next to my deck somewhere uh yeah th- Vital Force. I picked up a stack of Nissa Vital Force kind of in a similar concept as what he had in mind. So I, Vivian Reed made sense to me when he talked about it. Yeah, Vivian Reed is has been good for a double up um, since late summer. Yeah. So good on anybody who managed to pull that off. There's also green, black, green, black, blue decks that are running Carnage Tigrant, uh, Jade Light Ranger, uh, Merfolk Branch Walker. This is, these are like the green black decks that we saw last season, but now they're splashing a little bit of blue because they want to run their Hydroid Crassus. Um, and they're running Fine Finality and Vraska's Contempt. Um, you've also got, uh, here's a list with four Teferi, two Karn, two Cry of the Carnarium, three Kaya's Wrath, three Notion Rain, two Thought Erasure, one Warrant Warden. So this is, um, blue, white, black with treasure maps. So it's like all these mid-range decks running potent planeswalkers, some mixture of either sweepers or um, point removal, depending on whether they're playing their own creatures, and leaning on treasure map and some of the other like utility cards in the format to uh, make sure that they keep hitting their like relevant cards. This format could break so many different ways, and I'm willing to bet you that we see a bunch of different top eights as the as the season progresses. Yeah, I mean, this certainly, uh, looking through these lists, there's a lot of possibility here. Uh, it's exciting to see what possibilities remains is always the most interesting point of standard, right? As everything is new and fresh and you don't know what's going to work yet. 
uh, check in, you know, a month before the War of the Spark spoilers start and see how you feel then. But at the moment, it certainly looks uh, fun and exciting. And it, I think the real takeaway here is that any of these could be good. So in order to really get a feel for it, you need to be paying close attention to the streams these, this weekend. Oh, and keep in mind that these aren't even, you know, the, the format will definitely distill, but these aren't even just theoretical lists that people were writing up on Star City. These are the lists that went 5-0. So this yeah. is early in the format. Nothing is settled, but we already know that all of these things have potential and more. Like we haven't even gone through the rest of this list. <laughs> like one final list I'll reference is a Prime Speaker Vanifar list with four copies of that card. I went ahead and bought, I think, 12 at about $9 over in Europe earlier this week. Um, on the basis that as a long-term play in EDH, I feel very solidly about that card. Um, uh, Mythic level commander is going to get there, give it enough time. And the possibility that it's good in one or both of standard and modern, even if it's only fringe and modern, but good and standard would be enough to for Vanifar to possibly spike up over 20 in the next six months. Man, you know what card keeps showing up is Jade Light Ranger. Yeah, I mean, we knew that card was good, but like that's in a lot of lists. Yeah, and it's already, I mean it's already had its own spike. The right. the Vanifar list is running a lot of the same like things: Siege Gang Commander, uh, Rekindling Phoenix, Ravager Worm, Palaka Worm, <laughs> Mirror Image, Llanowar Elves, Incubation Druid, Druid of the Cowl, like all sorts of ramp, and then a bunch of u- mid range utility creatures, and then four Rhythm of the Wild as their um, th- that's the spell that either uh, you, your creatures can't be countered and non-token creatures you control have riot which means they either have haste or plus one plus one when they come into play which is like fires of yavamaya back in invasion days which was a uh, staple enchantment that very much resembles rhythm of the wild in terms of how it's likely to play out in standard mm-hmm. yeah the new fires some interesting stuff in here forcer for the scales further down the page yeah some fun cards. All right, let's uh, let's check oh, in. Oh, 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 hold on. Sorry, I, I promise that was the last one, but we have one that has your card in it, so it should be mentioned. Oh, the, the gutter bones. Yeah, three Alenda the Duck, Dusk Rose, four Footlight Fiend, four Gutter Bones, four Hero of Precinct One, four Judith, three Midnight Reaper, four Pitiless Pontiff, four Priest of Forgotten Gods, Carnival Carnage, Mortify, and Theater of Horrors as uh, the aristocrat style brew. Yeah, I noticed a general lack of small Rakdos decks in here. I mean, there are a couple, right? But, uh, you know, I've just scrolled through 25 lists and I think two of them were the little Rakdos builds, uh, but they're they're dotted around the page. They do are there in there. Gutter Bones is popular when you see it. Um, Judith is in there as well. Uh, just saw Spawn of Mayhem, I think, for the first time. But yeah, I know Gutter Bones was written about, you know, you were kind enough to send me the link several times this week by various writers so at least i can feel vindicated if for nothing else that i i keyed in on a card that should be useful i mean unfortunately it's still cheap and we'll we'll have to see if it if it's one of the cards that stays cheap despite seeing lots of play which we have seen with rares before right Um, right, right. one of the cards that jumps out at me though as a long-term edh foil is this priest of forgotten gods one in a black for a one two tap it sack two other creatures any number of target players each lose two life and sack a creature. You add two black to your mana pool and draw a card. Yeah, it's funky. 
I, I don't I don't know if I'm super on board with that as a long term play. It is amusing that you can annoy other people with it. If you got paid for each opponent that did that, that would be a little bit better. Well, I mean, they're, they're still they're each losing two life and losing a creature for yeah. an, for an activation where presumably you're either getting your things back or you're generating lots of tokens. You don't care that they're dying or they were there temporarily or you stole the other guy's stuff and then sacked it so that you could get this benefit. That's and the, the fact that you're, out. yeah, and then the fact that you're getting mana, like it's it generates two mana, puts you up to spending zero, draws you a card, kills a creature from each opponent, and they and they lose like six to eight life total just off of that activation. I mean, yes, you have to have the setup of having other things to play this into, but in Commander, that's significantly easier than it is in almost every other format. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong, it's a really cool card. It is a fun little. Fun little spell, no question about that. The only question is just what, how many decks can comfortably sacrifice the two creatures. It's a little more work than you'd think, I guess, but um, right. yeah. So our final topic of the week, we just wanted to talk, touch on the uh, developing trend line of Magic uh, the Gathering Online standard prices being exceedingly cheap. Because of the dynamic where a lot of the competitive standard testing has moved over to Arena because the Pro Tour requires the players to play on Arena at various points. And as part of the 32 players that were given Pro Tour contracts, um, they all got streaming contracts on Twitch and they're supposed to be playing Arena, not Magic Online. So you're going to see all those pros running Arena. Arena has been putting up really good numbers on Twitch lately. And I think you're going to see more and more competitive Magic players moving their standard testing over to Arena. As that happens, but people are still drafting on Magic Online, lots of cards are being generated inside the system, but then they're getting dumped because the drafters aren't playing standard on uh, Magic Online. They're playing it over on Arena, Uh, or at least less people are than they used than used to be. And so that the balance of that ecosystem around standard cards is collapsing in the direction of there being more supply than there is demand, which means playing standard on Magic Online for however long that lasts, but certainly, you know, for 2019 anyway, and probably 2020, and maybe even 2021, and so on and so forth. The point is, you can play like buy a standard deck for less than 100 bucks, and you've got plenty of options. And get excellent entertainment value on magic online and they people were it's to such an extent that people were joking that you should buy whatever deck you want to play on arena you should be buying on magic online first anyway testing it for a few days seeing if you like it and then going ahead and committing your like mythic cards or whatever because on arena if you buy cards there's no going back you're going to have to invest more to get different cards if you want to switch your deck up but on magic online decks are so cheap right now that it, it almost it, it's like there's two versions of magic online one where you pay once to test decks and then another where you commit to them for the long term. Yeah, and my takeaway here is that when we when Arena first came around and we spent a lot of time talking about it and thinking about it, there was a question of Arena will eventually ruin the economy of MTGO. But what seems, it's almost like the economy is going, it's like Arena isn't going to ruin MTGO. MTGO's economy is going to ruin itself because rather than wizards having to pull the plug on mtgo the it's going to pull the plug on itself because these prices are are so low and it seems like it's just sort of just descending into worthlessness 
um, as people kind of move over ahead of it. So Wizards may not have to take a real PR hit when they cancel MTGO because maybe nobody's going to be playing by the time they finally officially announce it. Uh, and and I really think are going to have moved over lock, stock and barrel and not care anymore. Well, and, and the, the, the argument that you still can only play modern on magic online is true, but there's no way they're going to leave that hanging out there for a super long period of time. No. You can convince me that like postmodern as a format, like the format that's going to be modern derived from arena sets they might wait another couple years before they fully launch it but i don't think it's going to be more than that and it could be even sooner it could be this fall it could be the fall after and at the point where everyone's focus they attempt to shift everyone's focus from modern to some new modern and the argument they make is listen modern's a bunch of linear non-interactive decks anyway and we can get rid of all of that brokenness by going to all of these like uh sets that were designed under the new design philosophy um, and it's a brand new format to explore. Isn't that exciting? I think they they can get away with that once every 10 years or so, no problem. And they will. And as a result, I think that there's a, there's a really interesting position here where you can get really great value on magic online, maybe for about the next year or so without really needing to worry about whether you get trapped in there because it's still cheaper than playing magic arena (laughs) where you're paying 300 bucks for pretty much like a season just to get a single deck, something like that. So um, one of the other interesting things is if uh, standard cards that become modern cards are ultra, ultra cheap on Magic Online, it makes modern cheaper on Magic Online because any any modern deck that is made uh, significantly out of newer cards will be cards you got dirt cheap. You know, so if that lasts for a year or two, then you could be like work your way into a modern deck uh, really easily. Like, so for instance, if uh, um, like... We have all the shock lands reprinted right now into standard on Magic Online. I bet you those shocks are really cheap right now. And if they reprint fetches, say, in the fall or something, um, the same situation. Like, you you may end up getting some really good building pieces for broader format play. So um, if you, for instance, have sold out of Magic Online, you might, but you want to play standard online, you might want to consider playing out of Magic Online instead of Arena especially if you're not you know, working your way towards becoming a pro or something and you're worried about what your arena play is like. Yeah, it's this is a tough choice for, I guess, is it a tough choice for players? I mean, it sucks that you have to pay for the deck twice, but I guess it's nice that you get to have like, you get to rent the deck essentially first to see if you like it before you get stuck with it. Um, and as for refreshing formats, you know, you, you you use the term whether whether Wizards can get away with it. Like, can they get away with giving us a new format every 10 years? I would argue the players kind of want that, right? The players are looking forward to a refresh um, relatively, you know, once every 10 years, probably even more regular than that. Uh, I've always liked Modern the most, and I think that's true for a lot of players. But the openness of a new format is thrilling, um, and it gets you get to leave behind a lot of baggage and uh, start fresh, and you get you get like a good two years of uh, before it starts to feel stale at times, I think. Um, and each new set really shakes it up more because there's a bigger impact. So, you know, I, we know that's going to come. We know the new format's going to come. We don't know when it's not like wizards announced it, but that's definitely going to be on the horizon. I think it could come sooner rather than later. We already know Ixalan exists because that was in the arena beta, even though it wasn't part of the official launch. And they could be quietly adding sets backwards um, 
or they could start putting in draft mechanics or something to that effect uh, on Arena, you know, sort of the way they did Phantom Drafts on Magic Online. They could add something similar or the Master's Editions type of deal. Um, so, you know, it, all signs are pointing in that direction. And it really, this is, you know, I don't feel like we need to tell anybody you should not have any money in Magic Online because that much is, has been clear for a while, but it's very clear. Yeah, you don't want to have a big collection for sure. But but I, I, I am mostly sold out of it, and I would consider buying a standard deck. If I can get a good standard deck for 60 bucks and play it for a few months, that is solid, solid value in line with buying any modern video game. Yeah, I mean, if that's that's totally a reasonable thing to do, if that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, I don't think that that's unreasonable whatsoever. I just meant like I wouldn't want to have a collection, right? You don't want to have money tied up in it that you are willing to just any money you have in Magic Online, you have to understand could just be gone. Yeah. All right. Can I can I finish the week off by sharing some jank I was pulling together this afternoon? Sure. So. I was thinking about Wilderness Reclamation in Modern, and the card that jumped out at me from my spec pile was Savor the Moment, a card I bought a bunch of at like $1.65 a while back that I recently buy-listed and was sending in some more to a buy list this week. Um, Savor the Moment is the time walk that doesn't let you untap on the free turn that you get. Um, And because it has a penalty, it only costs one blue-blue. But if you cast it into a wilderness reclamation, you get an untapped step at the end of your turn. So it doesn't matter that you don't get it during your free turn. Mm-hmm. So I'm assu- presuming some kind of deck that's like some version of the doubling season planeswalker brews from a while back where you would do like noble hierarch or something into turn four doubling season. And then on the next turn, you would cast Jace architect of thought or like Tamio, for instance, to double up their loyalty counters and win the game pretty much on the spot. And you can play things like, um, Snapcaster mage to snap back to savor the moment, maybe E witness to bring back savor the moment because E savor the moment does not exile on cast. So it ends up back in the graveyard every time until the Snapcaster finally exiles it. So you can take a bunch of turns. It is a really nifty idea. The hard, the the hard part of this is selling me on resolving a and keeping a four mana enchantment in modern. Uh, that's a tough order. Okay, so but at the same, go ahead. Okay, so first of all, it's three mana because you're playing green and blue, so you're playing high arc and or birds of paradise and or utopia sprawl. And we've seen wow. plenty of decks play in modern that that use that ramp pattern. Secondly, KCI that just got banned is a four mana do nothing artifact that sets well, off that sets off in a uh, combo chain, right? So the the real so question I, is, how do you win this game? <laughs> well, what I was going to say was, it's a four. I'm not wild about trying to resolve and keep a four mana enchantment in modern. However, if your plan is to resolve a four mana spell and then basically never let your opponent take another turn, which is what KCI does, yeah. then it's a little more palatable because mm-hmm. it's the top of your your combo essentially. Yeah. But the thing is you have to have it in play before you cast Saber the Moment, right? Yeah. So it's a little tricky. Saber but the- I think it's a cool I mean, it's exactly the type of deck that I would go to the drawing board and try and figure out for my local FNM modern. Okay, so here's here's the play pattern in Magical Christmas Land. High arc. Next turn. Um, your like land utopia sprawl or something. Turn three, wilderness reclamation. Untap, hold up cryptic command. 
counter draw, and then savor the moment. It's quite a plan. I'll give you that. And then you're just Nexus of Fate, Teferi, Emergency Powers, or some nonsense. Yeah. It's got to be something, right? It seems like it, it seems like it could be fun. You'd have to go back and look at the other uh, Saber the Moment decks and see what they were trying to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be able to find some good ideas in there. Maybe walking the list is the is the game plan? Could be. Could be a variety of stuff. I mean, really, at that point, you have a lot of different options, right? Yeah, all janky and probably bad. But th- th- this is the deck I will be attempting to build and bring to my next modern tournament. In fact, I may play it in Toronto. I'm all for it. Um, somebody, I mean, you're probably not a lot of people going to be casting Saber the Moment that day. Yeah. So somebody else pointed out Hakori Dust Drinker as a Wilderness Reclamation <laughs> combo because it's Winter Orb, so lands don't untap during their controller's untap step. So you're untapping at the end of your turn, but the other guy's not. That's kind of funny. But you do get to untap one land at the start of your turn as well. Um, mm-hmm. That's amusing. And you can get you can get Hakori down on you know the turn before the Wilderness Reclamation potentially or the turn after because you're using Utopia Sprawl so your lands make more mana than theirs. It's possible that Amulet of Vigor and the Bounce Lands combo into Primeval Titan is really what you're trying to do. At which point you have to start asking yourself why you're not just playing a, a previously well tuned <laughs> Primeval to- Titan build, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know because well, they don't play for the moment. Yeah, and apparently Ali uh, Antrazi in a side tournament at Star City in November of 2017, ran a deck called Bant Walks, which was Corsair of Crufix, Jace Friends mm-hmm. Prodigy, Noble Hierarch, Cryptic Command, Fog, Seasons Past, Serum Visions, Sphinx's Revelation, Time Warp, and Three Walk the Eons, with Garrick Wildspeaker, Jace Balaran, Narset Transcendent, Nisa Stewart of Elements, and Four Utopias Brawl. So, feels to me like that deck could probably isn't as tight as it probably could be and could probably squeeze in savor the moment and wilderness reclamation instead of the super high cost take another turn cards that cost six very possible there's uh some rich vein here for you i think you should definitely get on that right away yeah it's it's a deep well of jank and i'll see you in a few weeks yes i'm looking forward to it in modern or not in february <laughs> you spank me with burn in the first four turns <laughs> uh, i am not going to spank you but uh you know all right that's a wrap for this week where can people find you online travis i'm on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n i write every monday for uh mgg price doing the watchtower series and yourself you guys can find me on twitter at mdg critic as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com i also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just 4.99 a month or 49.99 per year you can get early access to this podcast fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business access to our discord channel which has been buzzing with activity since we launched it a few weeks ago and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering all right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 152. I had a great time. Uh, thanks for delaying the day for me, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.